0: Welcome back to The Craft. I'm Carter, and I'm here with my good friend Colby, and this is a podcast where we explore the creative process together. And what we're doing today is we're taking a look at a part, or maybe a couple portions, of Rick Rubin's new book, The Creative Act, A Way of Being. And so Colby's got this one on his to-read list. Have you been reading it so far?
1: You know, I've read a couple of pages, but I've been reading a few other books, so not not very far into it. But really excited well, this, to get into it.
0: This one seems kind of conducive for the kind of jump in and out. It's tell, tell us a little bit about the structure of the yes. book and kind of what it's what it's about.
1: So we'll drop a link in the show notes that you can check out. But it's a just a hardcover book here. That's I. I it's helpful for me for the audio only listeners, which is everyone. <laughs> Give a little context. We've got it's a hardcover book, really minimalistic cover. It's like gray with this black vinyl record circle in the front, very minimalist, clean vibe. And then the overview of the book, it's about 400 pages, and it's it's kind of like this creative meditations type or he said he wrote it almost like the Tao Te Ching. So it's this this almost proverbial wisdom type of style, like aphorisms. These one like yeah, like one to 5 page chapters. There's 78 areas of thought. And so that's, the, that's what the title of the table of contents is. They're each three to, you know, one to five pages. So I'll just cherry pick a couple here. There's everyone is a creator is the first one. There's creativity, awareness, beginner's mind, habits, experimentation, try everything, crafting, which you might get into today, connected detachment, possibility in parentheses, freedom, the possessed, The energy, parentheses, in the work. The art habit, parentheses, sangha. So there's just all these different, it's like very uh, like, oh, what is that? What is that? What's lightning bolt? So very eclectic set of thoughts all around what it looks like to do the creative process. And just to give a little background on Rick Rubin for anyone who doesn't know, who's Rick Rubin? So he, I could pull up a professional bio, but my quick notes of what I know about him, he is Oh, you know what? I'm going to actually just do this the right way and look it up. (laughs) I feel like it's going to be better that way. Rick Rubin, let's go to the very official source, Wikipedia. He's an American record executive and record producer. He's one of the co-founders of Def Jam Recordings, founder of American Recordings, former co-president of Columbia Records. He's worked with Kendrick Lamar, LL Cool J, Ghetto Boys, Run DMC, Public Enemy. He's worked on heavy metal stuff. Metallica, Slayer, Alternative Rock, like Red Hot Chili Peppers and The Strokes. He's worked on Country. He actually worked with Johnny Cash at a point where he, I've heard him talk about this story in a podcast, at a point where Johnny Cash was kind of feeling washed up. Like he worked with him and this was towards the end of his career. And it was kind of crazy because I mean, Johnny Cash is a legend, but he was feeling all this self-doubt and Ruben helped him come back basically and recreate, like create some stuff. He new had a stuff. massive career um, dip.
0: Cash did. I, I heard a podcast yeah. not too long ago about his career. And yeah, Ruben hmm. really transformed him for another generation because Cash was doing, I mean, he was at his I mean, in zenith in some ways when Elvis was. They used to tour together. And then later in the 80s and stuff, it was like... It, it was hard, I think, to bridge errors, but uh, that's 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 a great bio. He, he's been he's been around, and so he's got a lot to offer. He's
1: he's a definite legend in the music industry and incredible producer. He's a producer, also interesting to me as I'm trying to really study the masters of my craft and music production. But interesting because he is a non technical producer, so he's not on the boards mixing and recording instruments and things like that, he's he sees himself more like the, the CEO of a band, like the guy who's thinking about the whole company rather than just thinking about the individual components. You know, the bassist is maybe focused on their world a little bit, but he's focused on how do all these parts fit together into the whole song and make a great body of work. And so he, I think, has an interesting approach to production because he's not sitting there with artists, like helping them change the chords, but more so helping bring out the best in those people at a high level and helping make creative, he's a tastemaker in a lot of ways. So that's kind of interesting because it's even a different approach to the way that I do production because I'm a lot more in the weeds and there's a lot I can learn from that in his high level approach. He also, oh, he said something really interesting. He said that he he spends like 80 or 90% of the time Before they ever go into the studio, just like refining and working with the artist, like practicing the song and working out the details and crafting and refining and molding the vision. And then they go in and they just like work super fast in the studio, record it and get done. But it's all about the songwriting. It's all about the meat and potatoes of what is the song and the contents of it. And if he has a bad song, he's not going to try to produce it and fix it with all these bells and whistles. So he's very talks of a lot in his book uh there's a biography on him and it talks a lot about his creative process being one of production by reduction and subtraction so that's a really interesting i could go on i've been learning a lot about him but maybe we get into the book let's do it any of those areas of thought that stuck out you want to dive into i think that's where we gotta go at least for, at
0: least for the first episode it feels, it yeah. feels
1: right So, this is, let's see, it's page 163, four or five. For you all who are following
0: along in your copy, 163.
1: (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Okay, so I don't know if I'll read this whole thing. It's like four or five pages. Maybe we just kind of start going through it and see where it goes. Once a seed's code has been cracked and its true form deciphered, the process shifts. We are no longer in the unbounded mode of discovery, a clear sense of direction has arisen. Often unbeknownst to us, we find ourselves in the craft phase. Now, that's capital C. Just a side note there. Now comes the labor of building. We work to add to a foundation that has revealed itself through our experimentation. The lines have been drawn. Now we're filling in the okay. colors. Where the earlier phases were more free and open-ended, the inspirations and ideas that appear now are more directly related to issues at hand. We are looking for a shape that fits a specific whole, whereas before we were just looking for shapes. In some ways, the craft phase is one of the least glamorous parts of the artist's job. There is creativity involved, but it often carries less of the magic of exploration and more of the labor of laying bricks. This is the point in the journey where some struggle to carry on. For now, we need to look away from the open field and turn toward a winding staircase a hundred stories tall, a long, precarious climb ahead. We may be tempted to turn back and chase the thrill of feeling the light bulb flicker on above our heads, but the first two phases have little purpose or meaning on their own. Art may only exist, and the artist may only evolve by completing the work.
0: You know what this reminds me of is our conversation about art versus craft a couple of weeks ago and how we really emphasized in that discussion how craft seemed to embrace the idea of the process and this seems to be analogous with what Ruben's saying here and i like i, I like that right we've got a vision now and now we've got to like we've got to figure out what exactly it's going to take to manifest the the contours or find the right shape, and so again, I think here's another instance where the craft is represented or depicted as a process that's ongoing, a process that's like an was he say endless staircase there, in which we don't have the ah oh, I've my craft is done, it's finished, I have arrived, I've hit a zenith, whatever craft you want to talk about guitar playing there's always places to go and the same thing with this right the craft once again is the act of trying to bring to fruition a vision it's that process driven or that Mm -hmm. process part that we can kind of isolate
1: yeah what i take from that too is i mean definitely what you said but i think just it's like you start every creative process it really ties in with create revise, share those three components, but it's a little more granular. It's like you start with a light bulb moment, which is like, ooh, I'm going to write a song about AI and art, (laughs) whatever, Uh, just riffing off our last episode. And that's your light bulb moment, maybe, or maybe it's a chord progression that you hear if you're writing a song, or maybe it's just like a good sentence if you're a writer or you find this setting and you're like, I need to take a picture of this. But that's your light bulb moment. So then from that moment, the, beforehand, the world is like this giant field of opportunity. Where could I focus my attention? And then the seed is planted, and then it's like, okay, I'm working on this part of the field, just this one little spot. I'm going to see if this little seed of an idea grows into something bigger, and I'm going to start watering it, and I'm going to start, you know, like adding to this Good. idea to grow it into yeah. something full blown. I think he's saying that craft is the part of the work where you say, I'm no longer in the decision phase of should I should I write the story about X Good. or Y? I'm now writing Y and I have to decide, okay, with the story Y, do I uh, do I is it a guy or a girl? Is it a a romance? Is it a tragedy or a comedy? Is it a this genre or this genre? Is it this creative decision or that creative decision? You're very into the weeds of molding and refining the same idea and you have to the way he ends it too is interesting because it's like if we don't finish the art, then there is no, the art doesn't exist until it's completed almost. Like you have to finish the song and say like this is done and it now is a body of work. It is something that is completed. It's imperfect maybe, but there's something to this idea of like letting, stepping back and being like, okay, now I can reenter that first phase because I've finished the song, you know?
0: That's really, really good. And to kind of, I don't know, can I give an example of this happening? Please, that would be great. So I was just sitting in a coffee shop a couple weeks ago. It might have just been two weeks ago. It might have been last week. I actually can't remember. All my days are blurring together. <laughs> it's a really busy season. But I saw I was just sitting, had my coffee and right, like you said, the field of potentiality here is wide open. And then I see this this young lady, she came around the table to look at something that her friend was about to show her. And the way she came around the table, I just had a word just hit my mind, which was giddiness. Like the whole, just for, it was like a flash of like, okay, now the field has just shrunk to a single word, giddiness. And it was an idea. And then so we, there's a vision here. And then it became a question of like, poetically, how do I write something that gives you the word giddiness, right, that, that, that captures this kind of ephemeral moment? And so I read a small, it's about the size of a sonnet. Could, could I read it on air here? We'll share some work? Okay.
1: Yeah, definitely. I want to hear this, yeah.
0: The giddiness of a young woman, delicate steps on the soles of arched curling feet, lifted in the afternoon's buoyant lines of expectant light, She steps tenderly now. For good reason, Solomon caught his beloved a gazelle, moving across the cool tile that sleeps in the Belvedere. In the corner of my eye, she smiles at a dark-haired man before the evening shadow drapes her shoulders with heavy swaths of crimson wool. And so it was... The process was trying to say, how can I capture the lightness and the movement and... Right, how can I take something which, like you said, the, the the artistic field gets collapsed to something, but then you have to do the work of making that small, tiny particular collapsed emotion or whatever it is. You have to do the work to somehow expand that into an artistic artifact, in, into into art.
1: Yeah, what a great example. Thanks for sharing that. I mean it's it's so interesting to hear if you talk abstractly about creativity, it's just so much easier to give that particular example and to see there's always an interesting question of what's the source for your ideas and like where do they come from? And you can kind of see in that story, there's this lipo moment, this catching lightning in a bottle. You felt this inspiration to write about giddiness and then that immediately shrinks so many of your decisions. Like I think there's something about once you constraint. have an idea, like a, commit, a commitment and a constraint, and it's like, well, I guess I'm not writing a novel now, I'm writing a sonnet. And that's in itself a huge decision. And then from there, it's like, okay, am I going to write, focus more on the giddiness or why there's giddiness or right. what the giddiness is about or when yeah. the giddiness occurred? or And I'm you know. not going to
0: use words that are heavy. right? I'm not going to say laborious. Right. That would be, be an awful word to use, right? Because now we've got a constraint of we don't want heavy words. We want light words because right. the sunlight was coming in at that point. It was late afternoon. So everything's draped in this coffee shop in this, this thin, I say in the poem, buoyant lines. It's up. It's uplifted, right? It's not this thing that has got the heaviness. And I tried at the end of the poem— before the evening shadow drapes her shoulders with heavy swaths of crimson wool to try to communicate there's a buoyancy here in this moment of giddiness that doesn't last because the evening shadow will come. Her shoulders will get draped with something that's heavy. It's going to sink back down. And so it's like... That tension there is all from the actual constraints that are given. And so in, in that way, the constraint
1: is is becoming something generative for the actual poem. That was really good. I love that. Do you want to continue reading through the one that we were on? Or we got a couple more pages to that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Let's, yeah. Should we keep rolling? So there, it kind of is broken up with these little sections. So that's why You're I kind perfect. of... I'll read through... There's two more sections to this chapter. How do we decide which experiment to craft? We continue to follow hints of excitement each one of us has to find our own path if several directions seem captivating consider crafting more than one experiment at a time working on several often brings about a healthy sense of detachment when solely focused on one it's easy to get tunnel vision while it may appear a project's moving in the right direction we are too closely entwined with it to truly know stepping away and returning with fresh eyes brings clearer insight into next steps. Switching to other projects will engage different muscles and patterns of thinking. These may shed light on paths otherwise unseen, and this may happen over the course of days, weeks, months, or years. Even in a single work session, moving between multiple projects can be helpful. There are also times when a single seed has so much power that you choose to focus on it exclusively, and that is your choice to make. In the experimentation phase, we planted the seed, watered it, and gave the resulting plant time to grow in the sun we let nature take its course. Now in this third phase, we are bringing ourselves to the project to see what we can offer. This is one reason the boundary between the experimentation and the craft phases isn't a linear nice. progression. We often move back and forth between the two because sometimes we add what we add isn't as good as what nature is bringing. When we realize this, we stop and go back to where nature left off. I'm not even through the section, but that already is like a lot of ideas in there. What are you thinking? That's great. I mean, the idea
0: that, the idea that you, for any artist, that you got to put things down for a little bit, we don't really understand why that works. And I like that he's using the uh, metaphor of like natural growth because that's something that is organic or outside of our control of what we're doing. Like we're not making the plant grow, it's growing. And so I love that he uses that metaphor of, You know, sometimes we just have to step back, and when we can look at multiple things happening, it just helps us not get so fixated that I can't give up this project, because you have to kind of be at a place of detachment as you revise. I mean, it's painful to cut a whole paragraph. I'm getting better at at doing that, right? It used to hurt a lot more. Mm. But when you're scratching Mm -hmm. stuff out, you need a certain level of freedom. Which I think mm-hmm. it inculcates by by stepping back, you can start to see there's more at play. It's not just this song or else I'm a bust. It's it's this is a song among mm-hmm. other songs.
1: In some source from him, I've heard he talk, I think it was a podcast with Tim Ferriss. He said the idea is you want to have very simple ideas and very few ideas. Like there's value in simplicity, but to get to simplicity, you have to sometimes create way more quantity Sweet. of work to get to the quality. And so he talks about for songwriters, if we're going to do an album with 10 songs, you might need to write 30, 50, 100, 1,000 songs to have 10 good ones. But the, I think that that can sound really mm-hmm. negative, but I honestly think it's a, a hack that I've used at, the to, at times to say, okay, I need to come up with some ideas. I've heard someone say, if you need to come up with, if you're having a hard time finding one good idea, write 20. And the reason is it's just like easy because you can each one you write down you can be like well i don't need to use this one i don't need exactly. to use this one there's that like levity and freedom to just be like i'm not trying to make the final right now i'm just ideating and coming up with concepts i think that's a really powerful tool for us to have in our like creative tool belt like we generate lots of ideas and then we step back we let them sit and then we we pull the thread where it feels like we sense that there's something more to like be mined yeah, that as part of the process, as part of the graft. So then back into this. Whereas the experimentation phase is about what the seed has to offer, now we are applying our filter. Reviewing the totality of our experience in the world and searching for connections, what does this remind us of? What can we measure it against? What does it relate to that we've noticed over the course of our lives? It's kind of interesting. That reminds me of what you said in the last episode about the AI stuff, just how it's like, Pulling from the way that we experience the world is how we interact with art. In this phase, we begin with a project that is naturally developed. We can recognize potential in it, and we can see what we can add, take away, or combine to further develop it. The craft phase is not just a building up, it is also a breaking down. The goal of developing the work can be accomplished through a pruning process of small cuts. We decide which details and directions might be removed so that energy more energy and focus can be used to feed the core elements. So I like that a lot. It feels like uh, very in line with kind of the ways that we talk about generating ideas and then chopping them down, but it's a little bit more like fine-tuned. Here's what the process looks like. You go from generating ideas, you step into revising them. My question is, what does it mean for nature to run its course creatively like you have the the image of like the seed and then like you water it you get it in the sun and then you step back and you just wait days and for that it's like days weeks months like a whole season so what does it look like to have this seed of an idea a novel of a, a zine a website of digital experience whatever the concept is you have the seed what does it look like to water it and then also to have like the appropriate sure. let nature run its course
0: i love that he i love that he is using the natural metaphor because it gives it the appropriate amount of mystery i think so mccarthy talks about in his small essay uh, the cuckoo problem about how a lot of thinking occurs in the unconscious and he makes a theoretical mm-hmm. argument for it but he's But he basically says there's a process of thinking that occurs that is opaque to total blackness, he says. We just can't access it. What's going on in the unconscious? McCarthy's like, yeah, he suggests that the root, the base, if we think about the iceberg, the the under-the-water level of thinking, which is most substantial, is unconscious. And that's Mm. mysterious. And so what does that look like? Yes, we want to set the parameters, right? We want to have things watered and tended, but then it might just look like patience with it, sitting with it. Yeah, you can be a bad farmer if you're not watering your seed or you're, you're not concerned with, the let's say, the soil quality of, of where it's the seed's going in, but there is nothing that you can do to make the seed grow. And I think that's a respect in some ways for the role that the unconscious plays in the creative process. That's my take on that.
1: Mm-hmm. I like that. It's, it's hard because maybe there, there's definitely not an answer to every specific, it's very personal experience creating something. And so there's no catch-all answer for what, like what I need, for example, but it's hard to know when I, when do I, when am I being lazy and procrastinating and saying this just needs time versus when am I force fitting because i'm saying i just need to there's this whole like real artist ship and like just ship it before it's ready like minimum viable product and all these little like ways of saying 80 percent out the door is better you know pareto's principle all these kind of like good enough is good enough ideas when when do we i think there's like those two extremes and then in the middle it's like having the intuition maybe to say Right now, it's time to hold back and wait because this idea feels wrong and I don't want to put something crappy out. Okay. And then over here you have, no, 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 I'm procrastinating. It's it's time to ship this and people will either most likely just be indifferent, but maybe maybe some will love it and some will hate it. I don't know. I think my inclination is that this
0: is going to come down to taste a lot. The analogy that I would give is, In the bourbon industry, which I get to kind of dabble in as a tour guide for James E. Pepper, the master distillers are tasting these barrels and seeing if they're ready to ship yet. And so sometimes it can be, you know, you got a a five-year-old bourbon that maybe Mm. is not quite ready yet. Why is it not ready yet? Well, it doesn't taste right yet because we know what we want it to taste like. And so I think in some ways it's interesting. It's going to come back to, I think, trying to cultivate your taste where you can recognize this is ready. And maybe you gotta help yourself and get some structure. I will only send out a poem for publication if I've written it, revised it four times or something, and let it sit for a month and then came back. Right? Maybe you start to give yourself some a trellis of this. But I think sometimes, I mean, mm-hmm. Dylan's the the super annoying example because I think he wrote like I can't remember. It's probably multiple one multiple. At least one of his major, major songs, and he wrote it like 15 minutes. And you're like, and you're so annoyed with that because he wrote it and he didn't overwork it and he just left it alone. And like, I think there is something to be said for sometimes you you write something and it's right, but I think it's that's a, a fraction of a percentage that that actually occurs, right? I mean, that's like the anomaly. But yeah, so I mean, that's my inclination that there's probably no direct answer for what you just asked, but I would imagine that taste plays a big part of whether or not I ship something or not.
1: Yeah, I think that's the drive to just improve our taste is a good good thing to answer there. So let me read this third section here of the chapter. While the craft can be difficult, this is not always the case. There are some artists whose focus is more on formalizing an idea than executing it. And in the case of some projects, outsourcing the craft phase is what's called for. Many of Andy Warhol's paintings were done by other artists and by machines. While he supplied the ideas and retained authorship, some famous California rock bands of the 60s didn't play on their own albums. And some prolific authors just invent characters and storylines and leave it to other writers to fill out the prose. Wow. So already that totally ties back to the last episode where we talked about like the white labeling stuff, because yeah. that's what he's describing here, right? Like they come up with, it's it's different actually, but it's like, I write the song, I hire studio musicians, they record it, and then it's still my, maybe I still sing on it or something like that, you know? Sorry, that's just side Connection, note there, but that's sure. just really interesting. When it comes to performing these labor-intensive aspects of the creative of the process yourself, it is not a question of right or wrong, it's project-dependent. Remain open to doing whatever it takes to make the art as good as it can be, whether this means inserting yourself more into the details of the process or stepping further back from them. For some projects, an artist may feel it's necessary to be involved in all the work. The physical act of crafting may give them a greater understanding of the art and more direct control over the details. Other projects may be better served if the artist acts as a maestro or designer in the phase, conducting the work of others. Crafting can be daunting. It's helpful to think of it as another opportunity for play. For some artists, crafting is their favorite part of the process. There is a natural joy and sense of accomplishment in following a set of instructions to create something physical and beautiful. The love and care they put into this phase can be clearly recognized in the final work. And that's the end of that chapter. I thought that was beautiful. I I love that idea of um, of just how there's different roles yep. maybe or that the art needs, different art will need different so things. Good. Like there's a lot of ties in with collaboration. So there's going to be times where you need someone else to work, to write the verse for you, to take the photo that you had the vision for or to edit it. Or, you know, like just, there's a lot of dynamics. This gets to into, which I love. Uh, yeah. It gets into, you would never go up to a maestro,
0: I love that to use maestro, a conductor, to an orchestra and be like, oh, that guy's not legit because he doesn't play all the instruments. He didn't record them one at a time himself. <laughs> right? That would be such a silly right, thing right, to right. say to a conductor. And so it, it, I think it's, it's a great point that he gives here that, listen, just because you didn't mix the song doesn't mean that you don't have an important artistic role or that it's not your art Right? You don't have to play every instrument on an album. I mean, it's cool if you do. I mean, it's fine, but it would be silly to say, you didn't play the piano on this track, and so somehow this art is less authentic. It's less... You know. So mm-hmm. in certain circumstances, I think it's so clear to us, like with the conductor, but it's weird how we take the same principle and it can become accusatory to people of like, oh, you mm-hmm. didn't, they didn't actually... Right? It's, it's a lithograph or something where... You know, it's produced many times and so it's not as original or, or that sort of thing. I just think that's such a good healthy approach to say it's different for different art. There's not a one size fit fits all and you've gotta kinda of negotiate that out. I mean that's almost always good advice that it's not one size fits all.
1: I appreciate the nuance. I think that's something that, in what I've, what little I've read in this book already, there's a lot of nuance, and there's just a lot of thought-provoking ideas that went into this. And talking about that same that thing we mentioned earlier around patience and and letting the, the ideas you know take their run their natural course. I think that he's been thinking about this book for about seven years, maybe ten even. It shows. Um, I mean, I'm impressed it's with been that. Been
0: slow. I mean that that was three. That's such a short chapter, but that was substantive.
1: Mm-hmm. so that's there you have it the creative act a way of being by Rick Rubin that's our first kind of breakdown of a chapter I feel like we could do another 77 of these really <laughs> I mean there's so many ideas to mine from this and maybe we'll do a couple more I in enjoyed future. this
0: format too with uh, reading some selections
1: yeah. and then responding yeah I think that's it could be interesting for other books too
0: no quote of the week because we just gave you some paragraphs of the week <laughs>
1: Exactly, that's what I was thinking. Uh, so I think I think we wrap up here, man. This was a great episode. Great conversation. Hey, thanks for listening to The Craft with Carter and Colby, where we share what we're learning about the creative process. If you're a writer, music producer, marketer, filmmaker, photographer, or you just love creativity, then this show is for you. Our cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. You can learn more about her work at Newelldesign.com. That's Elizabeth, N-E-W-E-L-L-design.com. And you can follow her on Instagram at Elizabeth is a designer. If you like the show, there's three things you can do to help us out. First, subscribe so you learn when we post new episodes. Second, send the link to one of your friends who you think would enjoy the show. Uh, really, word of mouth is going to be the, the number one way we grow the show in any way. And three, if you have a topic you want us to cover or feedback about how we can improve the show or comments on what we've said, you can respond to heycraftpodcast at gmail.com, H-E-Y-C-R-A-F-T podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.